Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're thankful for this year. We'd ask that you would collect our thoughts around it, whether or not we have been rich towards you and your kingdom, what we plan to do about it, how we plan to grow in grace more and more, the good things. We'd ask that you would watch over those here, wherever they are, end up during the year, that you'd make the new year a great one. We thank you for your son and for his gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, December 28th, last one of the year, hymn number 50 for Evan, because I think Jake preached for me a couple times this year. So I know this because it's page 50 in the sermon notes file. Um, I get to find out how many weekends I was gone, which was two. 52 weeks in the year, is that correct? What's that? Hymn number 50 is what you're saying. Hymn number 50. Sermon number 50. December 28th. Next sermon, God willing, will be in 2015. It's still kind of Christmassy in some of your homes. Leslie has the tree down already. She's like a force of nature. But some of the decorations are still up, and some people requested Christmas carols this morning. Some of you might be the kind of people who leave lights on your house up through May or something like that. Um, this is kind of a Christmas sermon. We talked about Christmas last week, um, or an aspect of it. But this is something my father said this week. We were out at Doug and Nancy's uh, Christmas Eve with the extended family for, the, for uh, Chinese food, like everyone else in the nation. And uh, we, we sang a few carols, then Doug asked Dad to say a few things uh, about Christmas. I've heard my father speak before. I don't know if you are aware of that. Some of his lessons were with me over his knee but uh, I've heard him give lessons and talks and preach from the Word and for many, many years. Always in, I always enjoy it. Um, and he started by saying how the Christmas story present in Matthew and Luke is that's where we get our Christmas story. <laughs> There's nothing in Mark. Mark picks up with the ministry of Christ. He said, but John sometimes is not viewed as having a Christmas story, but there in John 1, is, you might say, the theological statement of Christmas. I start here in John 1, 9, up at the top of the right-hand side. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, what we forget oftentimes, we talked last week about the angels rejoicing over one sinner that repents, just like they were rejoicing over the birth of the Christ, 
When you came to Christ, when you repented, the angels rejoiced in the same way. You shared a Christmas moment there. But something more than a Christmas moment where your life and your repentance made the angels do something similar to what they did to Christ at his birth. We sometimes see people fighting over whether they're going to say Merry Christmas or not whether or not they know the Christmas story, how many, I always like to say 28 magi, because there's no reason to say three. What do you believe in? Well, do I believe in the wise men? Do I believe in the virgin birth? Do I believe in the shepherds, the angels? Here in John, it lets you know that in the, the narrative that Christmas is writing out, you are the end result. You are part of the narrative. Because the true light that is coming into the world was not received by his own. He was received by some who believed in his name. And to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. You are the end of the Christmas story, literally. Not we share in part, our, our images in our life are kind of like Christmas, but we are. It wasn't important, as important, that the wise men showed up at his birth, or the shepherds, those were important things, God wanted to do them. But it's not important that those things are believed as much as that you have believed that he came for this. He came for this, you, here. Jesus Christ in the stable with the Magi, with the shepherds, with the angels, was all written down, all done, that the denouement of the story, the crisis, the climax, the point, your belief, that you could become children of God. The whole point is the reconciliation of man to God. Not as a group. He's not looking to collect a big enough movement or club that you can join the club or not and be lost in the crowd. Do you believe that you're part of this story? You are part of the story. Not Christians, not the Christian church. You are part of the story. John 3. Now all these passages are out of the first six chapters of John. I just, just was kind of stumbling through the first few chapters of John, looking at how John was front-loading so many things about our belief and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a wonderful section. And you almost can't throw a brick without hitting something important in John. And John 3, you know, because John 3.16 is on billboards. And I think at football games. Are there baseball games too? John 3.16? And on Tim Tebow's face paint. But here in John 3.12, Christ is speaking. He's talking to Nicodemus. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? When we start to realize that Christ came 
to be received and believed and to be those people who received and believed granted sonship with Jesus Christ, eternal life, then it's a matter, that's not everybody. It's for those who received him, not who received him not. Those who believed in him, not who believed in him not. So we're going to start to go, okay, what, what, what makes it personal? What makes it where do I find this belief? How do I relate to the belief? How do I keep from just believing in the Bible story and believing in the Lord? Christ is making a distinction here between earthly things and heavenly things. That you don't even believe the earthly things, he says. How can you believe the heavenly things? No one has descended into ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Christ is dangling the presence or absence of belief as the crisis of every man regarding their participation in God and in salvation. And then it starts to tell you, and you don't believe. You don't believe adequately. You don't believe completely. This is why you don't believe. This is how you measure your belief as adequate in one sense, but you realize that when you go home in the stillness of the night, what you sang in church is not what you believe at home. When you treat your neighbor a certain way, you know that you be your belief in Christ is what you say in church, but not at home, or at work, or wherever else. Because whoever believes has eternal life, and the question is, how am I going to run a dipstick into my belief to know? It's part of you, or it's not part of you. You're either capable of listening to the words of Christ and going, yes, Lord, that's exactly what I believe, because you have said so, or we don't. Well, how do you know he is right? You don't believe him when he says earthly things. You don't believe when he says heavenly things. But in explaining this, now we're not quite sure where the, there are no quote marks in Greek, by the way. And most of your Bibles will have the end quote at the end of verse 15. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then John 3, 16 is supposedly commentary by John. Well, it's not really clear where the quote of Jesus Christ, not that it matters so much, but you have to understand that if it's still quoting Jesus Christ, Nicodemus is getting an earful. He wanted to know Jesus Christ. He wanted to believe coming to him in the night he gets told all the reasons why he's not unable to believe but he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life he saw that was that's the you might say the Christmas story right there we said the Christmas story in John is the light was coming into the world people didn't receive it Whoever did receive it became children of God. He sums it up and says, this is why God sent the Son into the world. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Simple. Christmas. The 
For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Baby Jesus, lying in the manger, swaddling clothes, cloths, whatever you want to say, kneeling shepherds, frankincense and myrrh, all to keep man from being condemned, but that the world might be saved. This crisis here is he who believes, verse 18, notice that back in 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish. He came for the purpose that man shouldn't perish, so they wouldn't be condemned. And then he goes back to it in 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Okay? Maybe there's a lot riding on this belief. He came to get you not condemned. He provided for you to be not condemned. He died for you so you would not be condemned. But he can't believe for you. He who believes is not condemned. Suddenly it starts to matter. Not just that you're part of the Christmas story, but whether or not which part of the Christmas story are you. He who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That goes back to John 1. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. He was in the world, the world received him not. Because the other side of the Christmas story is Herod, right? Herod's not a good guy. Kills, Kills small children. Maniac. Didn't want to serve Jesus Christ. Because that's the other side of the narrative. It's not this. You ever read a romance novel? No, never did, Dave. I've read quite a few. I'm secure. Read quite a few. They're all the same, largely. Except for, you like to point out, you know, Pride and Prejudice, the top of. But then there's Gone with the Wind. Doesn't quite work out. It's one of those romances that you have, what? She's such an awful person. Like so many of you women. Scarlett O'Hara. And Rhett Butler, in the movie anyway, walks off into the fog, having cursed her out. He's done, dealt with it, no problem, I'm gone. Because some... Tales. <laughs> they show you the successful. They show you the hero, however, the hero has done it, stepping into the good. Even if the hero dies, the hero steps into the good. And the villain or the inadequate, when the Mr. Collinses of the world, you get to see them too. The problem is, most of the world is Mr. Collins. Most of the world in this story, this Christmas story, believe him not. They don't want to believe him. They don't want to listen to him. Because the Christmas story has all sorts of people. People against God and people for God. People excited at the birth of the baby Jesus. And those who have not believed, 
is con- those people are condemned already. In this, and this is the judgment, verse 19, that the light has come into the world. Okay? The judgment, light coming into the world. That was back in verse, one, verse 9 of chapter 1. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. And people didn't believe in him. And some did. And those that did got eternal life. And those that didn't were condemned already. But look at why. If you want explanation, it's not merely, oh, gee, how are we going to ever believe? Or what's the magic pixie dust that you dust on people to get them to believe? They loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why. It's not rocket science. People like to do what they like to do. And they like being in charge of their own pleasures. And it doesn't matter to them that the living God said, don't do that. I said, don't do that. And their own conscience says, he said, don't do that. You know you're not supposed to do that. I want to do that. Whatever that is. And so I can't believe. I'm condemned already because I'm following myself. And I'm not going to listen to the only son of God because I love darkness rather than light. Because my deeds are evil. Merry Christmas. I want you to think in terms of Merry Christmas on this. Because it's a more true story. I've been reading Russians lately. Okay? It's not a, I don't recommend this to the faint of heart. But the Russians, they understand sin. Not a whole lot else. Get an idea of just how bad people are. Oh, the, 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 the Russians are just kind of rolling like a dog and vomit, you know. They're rolling around in garbage because they love that. You can almost smell. Leslie was just finished Crime and Punishment and realized early in the reading that she realized how bad Roskollenkov uh, would smell. Because it made it clear he didn't bathe or wash his clothes. You can realize, golly, mid-1800s, St. Petersburg, not bathing, summertime. He smelled bad. Spiritually, we smell bad. This is the story, though. This is what, what's going on. It's not so that you'd have some really cute image of a baby in a stable and kings from the east. It's a story of men who love darkness and those that believe who don't, who received him, who believed in his name. A little later in chapter 3, I have this verse, it was in last week's sermon. It was right at the end of that John 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not, and this is odd, because it's the opposite. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. That's an odd juxtaposition. Belief and obey. You either believe or you don't obey. Somehow they're tied. You realize the difference here? And this shows the weakness of what I've chosen to believe in. Because sometimes we think that the faithful Christian is someone who, who argues with the secular humanist about the virgin birth or 
or, or about whether Christ really existed or whether putting Christ back into Christmas. They argue about all the unnecessaries. It's like Jesus Christ as Bigfoot. Do you believe in Bigfoot or not? And you say, well, it's really Sasquatch. Well, okay. I know Bigfoot sounds fundamentalist and Sasquatch sounds, you know, theologically pure. But that's not the kind of belief we're dealing with because let's just say you believe in Bigfoot and you're right. Okay? Or Loch Ness, if you want a little old world stuff. Scotland. And you're right. In some sort of absolute sense. And it would not in a way that you could prove it to anybody. You're standing in a wooded glade one afternoon, hands in your pockets. And out in front of you, you don't even have your iPhone camera, walks Bigfoot. Ten feet away. He smiles at you, nods. You haven't been smoking anything. And he wanders off. You know you'll never be able to prove it, but you know your belief in Bigfoot is vindicated. It's not that kind of belief. Because this is the opposite of obey. Because believing in Jesus Christ, oh, it is uh, the Lord. Not the Lord, you know, just another word for Jesus. The Lord as another word for Lord. Because what a Lord is, is someone, you're saying, I believe. This is what I, what I come to. When I come to this, I go, you know, one person says, I believe in Bigfoot, or I believe in the virgin birth. He said, no, I believe, get this, that there's somebody absolutely in charge of my life. And I have to do everything he tells me to do. I believe that. You're not believing in the existence of God. You're believing God. Anyone who declares Jesus is Lord, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The belief is the belief of an obedient relationship. That's why he who does not obey shall not see life. Because that is the opposite of this belief. Because if you believe, if you have faith, that God is God. God is the divine. The ought of oughts. I really don't have a choice. When I went, was in the Navy, in 73, I got, got all my hair cut off and off to boot camp, and I had been raised in a military family. I understood the military. I was raised in Annapolis. I understood the Navy. I didn't understand other things. 1973, for heaven's sake. I had long hair, for heaven's sake. Briefly. I went from having admirals in my house at home, not visiting me, visiting my father. Admirals, all the scrambled eggs on the hat you would want, not a thought given to it, wandering around the, the, the hallowed halls of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland to thinking that a lieutenant was a god. They changed my life. They made me think that rank mattered. That, if I, that when I saw somebody just with some, some funny little gold things on their shoulders, 
I would have to do something. And they, I could not undo it, salute them, until they returned my salute. I was lower than they. I had been taught to believe that there was something better than me, more important than me. They could tell me what to do for the next four years. And they train you that way. Well, it's maybe a belief that people don't deal with much in this world. But it is the one kind of belief that we face with Jesus Christ. We are believing in a Lord. John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. See how it shifted from just believing that he's there? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. I believe that, you know, he was a great teacher back in the day. There's historic proof that he existed. Hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He wonderfully, in the first part of John, he lets us know what the nature of this belief is. He describes it, he contrasts it, he tells you what you don't get it for. You realize that everybody's not on the right side of this. The Christmas story has the villain. Do you want to be the villain? Do you hear his word? I like that. Truly, truly, I say to you. Did Jesus say it or not? Have you heard those words? I mean, we have heard so many other words. Christendom, may its name be blotted out, has been going on for a long time where they've almost hidden the Christ away from us. They've told us what the church and what the traditions and what the denomination, whatever those are, are going to let you see of Jesus. You're supposed to believe what they tell you to believe. They'd like to stand in between you and the Lord. He says to you a certain thing. Do you listen to what he says and do you believe him who sent him, which is God the Father? Because that's what passing from death to life is. Not the act of believing, but God gives you the grace that moves you from death to life if you come to this kind of belief. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life also in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. It spreads it out. Let you know more of this tale of Christmas is about this and what Jesus is going to do about this, what he expects to be heard as, who he expects to save, who he expects are condemned already, what is it rooted in? When he says something, do you go, yes, sir? Do you find yourself reading through the Gospels? Do you find yourself, or people ask me, how do I 
believe the scriptures? Well, some people say because the church made the canon. I don't believe the church. I believe the Christ. The reason I believe the apostles is the Christ told me to believe the apostles. Because the Christ changed my life when I believed in him. Why do I believe the Old Testament? Because the Christ believed the Old Testament. I think it says that somewhere in John. I just ran across it, I think. Where he um, speaks of... Oh, actually, I have it here on the page. Next paragraph. Here in John. I do not receive glory from men, still Christ speaking, but I know that you have not the love of God within you. That's how he dangles that, because the story we are writing, everyone you talk to either does not have the love of God in them, or they do. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Look at this. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. You will believe just about anybody. Look at the world. Go to a bookstore. I mean, people like Dr. Phil. Like Dr. Phil. He will define your life for you. And maybe he says some good things occasionally. We set up teachers, Christian teachers, false teachers, secular teachers. Anybody who comes in their own name, you'll receive. But you know what? There's a reason for that. They don't have any authority in the judgment. You can disagree with them all you want. You can agree with them all you want. It's not a matter of the judgment. All judgment has been given to the Son. All lordship has been given to the Son. Whether I believe him or not is whether I'm going to be on the bad side of his judgment or the good side of his judgment. I don't want to think about that. I want my Christmas story to not have that possibility. So I'm going to make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to listen to Dr. Phil or whoever is on TV these days. It's been a long time since I've seen daytime TV. How can you believe? Verse 44. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Remember the overquoted passage? Hebrews? must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. You must believe he exists. This is the kind of belief. We're not looking for Sasquatch. We're not looking for Loch Ness. We're looking for the living God. He must be there. I believe he is. I must find him. And so I look for him. And instead, I get caught up in design a life prospects. I think I'm responsible for my own life, and I got to make up my own mind. I kind of want to be. I realize being like overtly wicked is not a good idea. So I, I try to listen to self help gurus who tell me how to live. Life coaches. I listen to just about anybody because I'm not seeking the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It is Moses who accuses you, on whom you set your hope. People think they're religious. People think it's good enough to be, you know, at church or 
involved in their local assembly and never get around to seeking the glory that is from the only God and consequently not realizing that when they see Jesus Christ they are seeing the Lord and the Lord of their life and their faith is a measure of whether or not they're going to obey him or not or obey themselves. He lets them know that everything God has done, these were Jews he was talking to, Moses accuses you. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. This is one of the most conceited things a Jew could say. A lot of people taught Moses. A lot of rabbis followed Moses. They made their bones about how they interpreted Moses, the colonnades in the temple, where their schools of thought, where different rabbis would set up shop and represent Moses, because Moses was the authority, and Christ is coming along and saying, new kind of Moses is kind of a proto-rabbi for me. He is pointing to me. And consequently, if you don't believe the proto-rabbi, the prefatory rabbi, the preceding rabbi to the truth, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Start to get a hint about where I look, where I proceed. I know a lot of people who don't like the Old Testament. No, I love the Old Testament. I, I have a New Testament opinion of it. You know, the, the law was abolished uh, in the New Covenant. That's fine, but, the, but it was still our God who was representing things down through history in the Old Testament. I don't get all worked up because, you know, a lot of people in bigger cities have a real hard time with a lot of things that go on in the Old Testament. Yeah, well, if you have a hard time believing Moses, you'll have a hard time believing Christ. All that is pointing to the Christ. How are we going to believe if we are constantly receiving glory from one another. And that's why your thoughts start to shift into either a feminized version or some secular humanist version or some modernist version or even postmodern Christian version of, of your faith because you're listening to people and you're not listening to God. You're not saying, this is what God says and I embrace what God says. I understand what God says. God tells me how to understand it. Jesus Christ and his apostles interpret the Old Testament for me, and I believe them when they tell it to me. That's a place to be with those people who receive him, who believe in his name, who heard him, who listened to him, who believes in him, who sent him, who received the glory from God, who believed Moses, who looked into the law and saw Christ in it, those people have eternal life. Chapter 6, verse 35, this last bit here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Comes to, look at this, the, the, the word choices. It's like obey and believe. Are the same. Coming to him and believe. It uproots you. It moves you away from where you were. You want to go with that phrase of those Greeks and 
I think it's in Luke. We would see Jesus. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. That's what's the... the, the I, I, can you imagine for a moment being Jesus Christ? You're not just a normal pastor struggling with a small congregation, trying to get some traction under your teaching, trying to get people's lives to change. You're maker of heaven and earth. But you're still kind of, you look like a regular person. And you say things and you tell them, you know, I'm not from around here. I'm from heaven. God's my father. That dead person, let me raise them from the dead, excuse me. And you're looking at people and they're not. He's right there. The generation that knew Jesus Christ did not believe. Because it's not a matter of whether they thought he had done it. It's not, a, when you're thinking of it in the Sasquatch mentality, it wasn't that the high priest, when the, when the guards came to them after Jesus was raised from the dead, and said, oh, excuse me, we were down at the tomb, and an angel showed up, and he raised from the dead, and they said, here, have some money, tell people that the disciples had stolen his body. Do you think they didn't hear what they said? No, they believed completely. They believe in the existence of the risen Lord. They just didn't believe they would want to have any of it. Thank you very much. They didn't want Jesus Christ to be their Lord. He could be standing right in front of people. Now, Jesus Christ is still kind to them. The passage that Brian read this morning, he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Remember those, I was thinking about these, this group of Samaritan lepers the other day. Ten of them he healed, and one of them came back and thanked him. One of them came back. Nine out of ten healed lepers got healed in the midst of a world that had no real medical care of any sort. And they got healed of a debilitating illness. And they walked away from it satisfied without thanking Jesus Christ. You will, as you get deeper in your walk with Christ, you will begin to notice more and more the absolute wickedness of man. You stop going, you know, I struggle with the concept, I don't struggle with the concept of hell anymore. I have talked to too many people. I have visited with people who are awful. Only hell will take care of it. You begin to realize that. You begin to realize the judgment on the, this basic belief, not was he there, not was he visited by angels, but is he Lord? And if he is Lord, does my knee bend? He describes it here in chapter 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. People struggle with that. Why does this happen? Some Christians believe in election where people, they use this passage, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And he who comes to me I will not cast out. I see it as God's gift of, you know, the, the believing body of people who have been given to Christ to believe in him. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. So everything that God gave to the Son to believe in him, Christ wouldn't lose any bit of that. That's plain reading of that passage. So we have to be concerned right now whether or not we are of that kind of belief, right? I mean, this is all the way through this. He who believed, who received, who listened, who heard, who understood whence it came, who is waiting for the glory of God to be poured out to us because we wanted God's message in our lives. We want to listen to this and say, okay, what's the nature of this thing? What is the nature of being given to the Son by the Father. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That describes the kind of people that are on God's gift list to Christ. The Father gives these kind of people to Christ. Those who believe. My wife has certain standards about shoes. Besides fashion. There are a lot of fashionable looking shoes that are not made out of leather. My wife will not buy them. They must be made out of leather. Something awful about feet breathing or things like that. Shoes are shoes, but she has standards about how she shops for them. What Jesus Christ is going to give to his son, he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm looking for leather over here. I'm looking for those that see the son and believe in him. That's who I'm going to give to my son. That's the will of his father. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread that, which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? That You can see the stiff arm they're given. The easy doubt. You can easily doubt everything I'm saying. Easily. And you may be surprised, once you get into philosophic areas, how easy it is to doubt the reality of everything around you. How do I know that any of this is real, frankly? Because as soon as you realize how easy it is to question anything, tragically, everything can be questioned. You have to start saying, why do I question everything? And everything can be questioned. Why don't I believe something and what do I believe? Most people believe something. They're not out there doing Descartes on us, you know. Uh, um, they are believing stuff, usually themselves, usually their own authorities, usually their glorified fellow teachers of the ways of life, their life coaches. But God is looking for those who see the Son and believe in Him. Aren't you the guy who was born just down the road? How can you say you're coming down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. Don't waste your breath 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Another powerful, you know, basically saying, which side of the story are you on? Christmas was written, came, that you would be brought to one of these two places. And don't worry about that. Don't, don't think that you're trying to be, I'm not trying to convince you. That, that story has been written. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me. It doesn't tell us right there in verse 44 what that means. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Oh yes, it does. It does in the next verse. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you're the kind of person that has listened to what God has said, because you want to know God, you want to know God. You don't want to be part of Christendom where knowing God becomes um, part of what you add to your resume or, or believing in God. I read on Drudge that four out of five people in the United States believe in Christianity. What? Four out of five believe in Christianity? Why is it so awful? Because they, they really don't. They believe in Sasquatch. His name is Jesus. They don't believe in the Lord, Jesus Christ. The kind of person who believes, the kind of person that Jesus, going to God, the Father, who's going to give to the Son, these people, these people, these elect people are the people that have heard and learned from the Father. That's synonymous with being drawn by God the Father. Whoever is drawn, no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. And no one comes to Christ unless they have heard and learned from the Father. Have you heard and learned from the Father? Did you listen? What did you learn? Am I stacking belief in God, belief in the divine, on top of belief in the divine? That phrase, hears my word and believes him who sent me. Am I tying all my discoveries of divinity together? Because I'm not discovering the table of elements. I'm not discovering the DNA helix. I am discovering a living God. Different experience. And have I learned? Have I heard? If I've heard and I've learned, I am one of those God is going to give to Jesus Christ. I've qualified. What I want you to think about in regard to this, um, as I was thinking through this, um, You should not be as concerned with whether the church believes this, but whether you do. This is, none of this is about what group you're in. None of this is about your doctrine. None of this is about what kind of church order you maintain. Whether or not the rest of the people in your church are believers, whether you are. It is for he who receives him who believes his name. Not the group that received him and who believed in his name, but he who received him.
the one, the person. You've got to make account for that somehow. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your Son, his gift, our thought on it this Christmas, that we play a part in that story, that we are the reason, the, the excitement in heaven is over our souls. Lord, we're grateful that we have believed, and we'd ask that we as believers would study and listen to our Lord more. Thank you, in your son's name, amen.